0: My name is Catherine Ann Byam, and I'm the host of Where Ideas Launch, the podcast for the sustainable innovator. COP26 is a moment in time that we will remember as either the time that we turned the world around for the good, or the moment, the last chance that we had to make a difference. COP26 has four goals secure global net zero by mid century and keep 1.5 degrees within reach, adapt to protect communities and natural habitats, mobilize finance, and work together to deliver. Let's see what the initiatives of COP26 will have in store for all of us. Today, my guest is Roz Edwards. Roz has been a business owner now for 30 years, initially in African art, and now with a collection of thousands of mannequins rescued from landfill. Roz started mannequin from nothing, not even the mannequins. But she was determined to use her business acumen and creativity to create a meaningful sustainable business. Whilst researching mannequins she found an opportunity to create a business out of hiring them to provide for her children while freeing herself from the restrictions of poverty. Today Mannequin Hall in Lincolnshire houses a vast collection of mannequins to hire, the majority of which has been diverted from landfill. The unusual scenery within the grounds has created a popular film location and a major source of Roz's wealth and business growth. Roz has also started Club Mannequin to help independent creative business owners grow and scale. Roz, welcome to Where Ideas Launch.
1: Hey Catherine, thanks so much for having me on here, so exciting.
0: (laughs) Really great to have you and great that your video on YouTube is absolutely blowing up, right? How many views are you up to today?
1: Um, I've not checked because I thought I'd just give it a bit of a break because I have been, you know, constantly checking. It's going up by about 3000 views a day, which is just, it's just incredible. So I think the last time I checked, it was on 1,011,000 and something. So oh my goodness,
0: it's its incredible. So what we're talking about listeners is that Roz had a film crew come up to her empire and it's just been off the charts how people have been responding to what she's been doing so so Raz I'd like you to share with my listeners the origin story of mannequin and how you got started
1: and um, there's a deliberate misspelling of the word mannequin and there's a little story behind that and that is I was going to be a retail consultant I had no intention ever of working with mannequins. It never even entered my mind. But I was putting content on my uh, website all about retail strategy. And I thought, well, mannequins are a big part of retail, but I've never worked with them. So let's start researching. And I basically put a page on my website that said, I've got mannequins to hire, which I didn't have. Uh, my telephone number, and then just some pictures of some mannequins that I knew, well, I could buy some, you know, if it it was just like, let's, let's just put this out there on the internet and see what happens. Um, Within 24 hours, my phone started ringing with people wanting mannequins, like in London next week. And of course, I didn't have any. So I had to sort of lie and just say, oh, I'm terribly sorry, they're all out on hire at the moment. So then it basically carried on. And, you know, for the last what's 14, nearly 14 years now, um, the phones never stopped ringing. But in those early days, I was operating off of Ros Edwards, just my own website. But I thought, no, this is, it needs its own name. So, being a little bit of an expert with websites and SEO and everything, my initial thing was, well, I should try to get mannequin, the correct spelling, you know, dot com, dot and all the rest of it. So of course that domain name had gone. So I went for misspellings. And then when I saw that um, I could do mannequin, sort of spelt quite phonetically, and then I broke that word down into two, which was manna, food from heaven, and kin, kindred spirit. And I just thought that this is perfect name. It's absolutely a perfect name for it because I was literally, I had nothing. I was living in a council house on benefits, no job. I'd, I'd returned from Malawi after living in Malawi for 10 years, um, really low self-esteem. But I had all this business experience. It's like, nope, we're going we're gonna to rebuild. We're going to do something. Um, it probably took me about two years before I believed that I could actually, I can make money out of dummies. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful gift from heaven. Basically,
0: <laughs> congratulations on all your success. It's immense how you've managed to turn this into a mannequin empire. But tell us a bit about the business model or models that your mannequin operation uses, and how your success has been over the years.
1: So, I mean, obviously, in the early days, it was taking very, very little money. Um, the The biggest turnover we've ever had in a year is just shy of half a million pounds, which is phenomenal really. I mean, even I couldn't quite believe that. Um, but basically, the way that Mannequin works is it has a huge collection of mannequins. So they're all tidied up, you know, made to look beautiful. And then they're advertised on my website for hire. And we do sell some, but the I'd say maybe 70% of the business is hiring. So they all look lovely. And they go out in boxes, get delivered, lead a much more exciting life than I do. And then when they come back in, of course, they've got fingerprints all over them. Maybe some of the joints that they've got a joint, for example, that fits the the arm and the hand together. You know, maybe that's been busted, you know, whilst they're using it. They haven't quite taken good care of it. So then they come back in and I've got what we call the the fixing room (laughs) for want of a better name. Um, But in the early days, my children nicknamed it Dolby City. Because I actually used to do this in my kitchen from home, fix the mannequins and get them all ready to go back out again. So in actual fact, on the doors to the fixing room, it does say Dolby City because, you know, my kids have sort of named that after the TV program. So they all get prepared. So that can involve putting bits back together again, sanding them down, cleaning them. And then I've got a spray bay. So they go into the spray bay, they're wheeled on like clothing rails, so they're all hanging upside down. And they go in front of the spray bay, they have a, a new coat of paint, if they don't need all of it, they might just need a waft over, some need more than others. And then they get packed, and they go back into their boxes again, and they're ready to, ready to go and, and have fun.
0: What challenges have you faced or because it sounds like you do, you haven't had challenges, what would you say has been responsible for your
1: success? So a really, really big challenge that I met and I didn't find a huge amount of help out there for this either was you find that you get to a certain stage with a business. And you have got a certain amount of turnover as well and a certain amount of burnout. So you find yourself doing everything because you're, you know, you're a soul trader but you know it was a limited company but a sole person um working within that business and so there was a point where I'm driving vans into London to deliver like big quantities of mannequins but I've got my headset on with connected to my phone because I'm also the receptionist so then I would get to a lay-by and if I couldn't answer the phone in time I would obviously phone them back my little notepad and pen in the van and writing all of that down and then having to come back. And obviously I've got to, you know, replenish the stock after it's been used and it was quite exhausting. So my biggest challenge really was I can't do any more myself. This can't go any bigger, but it can go bigger because the demand is there. So then it was a case of, right, I'm sort of compartmentalising That's the right word to use. Everything. So, Okay, let's have someone on the reception and and doing, you know, answering the phone, doing the sales, doing all of the admin. Right. That's one person's job. Now let's get someone fixing the mannequins. Now let's get someone spraying the mannequins. And so at one point I had about 10 staff. But that is another thing, again, is bringing all of these people in, because all of a sudden you've changed from being this kind of really exciting times of running your own business and making money to I've got to be like the staff police now you know so anyway what I did is I went and took a course in in management and that helped enormously but I found my role had changed you know because I'm really I'm now properly the director and I'm directing everything so that that was a a big challenge but a huge amount of success and a you know massive amount of wealth came out of that just at the right time. So it all pays off. It all pays off. Nothing's easy. Otherwise, everyone would be doing it.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, no. And I, I totally get that. It, it's a big jump once you start bringing people on because, it, as you say, it's a completely different job. It's a completely different role. And not all of us want to do that role. <laughs> um, yeah, <so. laughs>
1: and we don't have the experience. We don't have those skills. I mean, there were times where I really felt that how the hell am I going to do this? You know, because I don't know how to manage somebody. So I learn. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you do, isn't it? You just like quickly get on and, and you learn.
0: Yeah, really, really well done, really outstanding. And I want to tap into the circular economy principle that you're running your business on. I can imagine that when you started, there wasn't a lot of talk about the circular economy. How did you influence clients' choices in this way?
1: So it, it that is actually quite a, an ongoing battle because... It can come down to price, but it can also come down to almost like people's greed with things. They want to possess things. So they don't necessarily see until you know I've spoken to them how hiring can benefit them. And of course, as I've just explained, that process, you know, the mannequin comes in, it goes here, 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 and it goes out again. So they're constantly spinning rounds and rounds and round. And round. There, there, there isn't more of a circular business model there, I think, to show. Um, but the whole mannequin industry is linear. Let's go and get them all made in China quite often, somewhere in the Far East. There are other places that make them, but that's, you know, the main manufacturing point. Let's ship them all that way right across the world. And then we'll have them in the shops. And then usually maybe, I think the cycle has gone longer now, but it used to sort of be every four years, right? Okay. We'll get rid of those mannequins now, and then we'll go and get some more. So you've just got them. They're all doing this journey like this all the time. And what hiring does is, well, we've already got the mannequins here. Let's cut out all of that transport. Um, we, We don't need it because they are here. And getting that message across is easier with the smaller independent businesses. But when it comes to the big guys, They can't quite see it. Some can, some are, you know, some I'm now working with are are, are doing it. But generally it's, you know, like I said, they they've been transported, they've been used for however many years and then crushed and go to landfill. So my job very much is persuading my clients that look, they're here. They're they're beautiful. And in actual fact, because we're renovating them all the time, every time they, you know, they've been out and they come back in, they're better. Than these ones that you can buy you know from from the far east and then let me see what i can do about all of this waste and this rubbish so i got a phone call from someone who said oh i see what you're doing we read this is quite a few years ago now but i see what you're doing we've got about 100 mannequins that are going to go in the bin but the owner doesn't really want that to happen they want them to be reused would you take them So I said, well, yeah, of course. How many again? He said, oh, 100. And then over the space of the next four months, and this is why I was buying uh, Mannequin Hall as well at the time. So thank goodness, because 25,000 of them turned up. There was one arctic truck after another. And I remember phoning him and just saying, are you having a laugh? (laughs) And he said, well, do you not want them? Because they are going to be crushed if you don't want them. And I said, well, okay, send them. Because there's an issue here, there's a problem, and I want to fix it.
0: It's it's so amazing. I, I just love this story. And I want to talk a little bit about Mannequin Mountain and, and that location in Lincolnshire. Can you tell my listeners what they can experience when they visit?
1: Um, we've had a couple of horror films made there. So you can imagine, really. It's it's most horror films, they start with maybe, you know, two girls are in a car and the car breaks down and it's raining. And it's dark and they walk <laughs> along, they find this place and think, oh, we'll go in there and use the phone because, you know, it's out in the middle of nowhere and there's no one there. Their phones aren't working and all the rest of it. And then they obviously they wander in and discover that they've made the wrong, you know, they've taken the wrong turn, basically. It's very much that kind of vibe to it. So there's some beautiful big gates that you drive through and then you're just hit by <laughs> which um, one of my um friends said it's a visual assault basically that's what it is you don't notice the mountain when you come in because like you come in and it and it's just to the left of you so quite often people come in and then when they're driving out they go oh my goodness all of those and I say yeah and um, so there are the, the buildings themselves that used to be um a secret air base for the Americans during the second world war so that's all quite an exciting story as well um But there are literally like, you know, mannequins all over, some sorted, some waiting to be sorted. Um, And then, yeah, these old sort of creepy looking buildings. Um, Fantastic views out the back when you get round to the back. Absolutely gorgeous views across the Lincolnshire Ridge. Um, So it's a really beautiful location. Um, And then, yeah, and then you would wander around or drive around because you can drive all the way around. And then there's just the biggest pile of mannequins that you've, that anybody has ever seen I mean I'm I'm sure not many people have even seen a small pile but this is it's colossal (laughs) I think someone recently told me you can see it from space
0: brilliant (laughs) and I know that you also have a Halloween feature as well
1: yeah so we get people in and in the daytime and and almost everybody says it and that is I bet it's really scary here at night and so I went, um, I went down to Somerset and it was at the time, it was 2015 and it was the time when Banksy had launched Dismaland. So I went in and had a look around there and totally fell in love with the whole thing. And I looked at the size of that site and thought, well, that's about the same size as mine. I could do something like this. And then that would provide the solution, <laughs> if you like, for all of those people who say, I bet it's scary here at night. So what I did is um, I followed like Banksy's whole way that he promoted it as well with, you know, there's trip hazards, there's no lighting, um, you know, there's no toilets, all of this kind of thing. Come with a torch, you know, prepare a little survival bag, you know, in case you get abducted by mannequins. Um, And people loved it. They absolutely loved it. So that's, you know, gone on for several years. When it came to um, 2020, of course, and all the fun that we've had there, we were all in the tears at that time and everyone had to still stay in their family bubbles. Somebody said to me, are you going to do Halloween this year? And I said, well, I can't. How can I do it? So we've got this road, which at the time obviously had loads of mannequins in the way. So I said, right, let's go and clear that because people can drive round." And that's what we did. We had a really successful event that year. And so many people thanked us for it because we'd all been shut in for such a long time. the the whole feeling that they could come out and be safe as well. I mean, I made up a story that there are child mannequins on the loose with teeth, you know, and they're very dangerous. So do not get out of your vehicle. Um, I mean, obviously, I had um, the environmental health people at the council phone me, obviously, have concerns with an event going on during COVID. Um, and I had them in absolute fits of laughter. They just said, we've got nothing to worry about with you, Ros. Just go ahead with it. It sounds brilliant. <laughs> um, and then last year, we we people were able to walk around again. So yeah, it was good. It's good brilliant.
0: fun. I want to wrap with a final question, which is there are a lot of people who want to start sustainable businesses or have started them and they're struggling with their growth. Do you have any advice from the journey you've been on bringing the circular principle to life?
1: Yeah so one thing that I think we can all do which perhaps we don't is just constantly be on the look if you haven't already got a product that could be circular just keep your eyes peeled because there are things out there that nobody is actually doing yet Um, and what's been great about mannequin is I mean I remember um, when I started someone saying oh you say you're going to do shop fittings now and counters for shops and things and I said no I'm not going to get distracted by all of this. It's just going to be mannequins because, I mean, even within that niche, there's, you know, all the film location, Halloween events and people being able to stay over um, in the mannequin graveyard at night. That's one of my next things I'm I'm about to launch. And then just establish that really sort of simple, easy brand right from the beginning. I mean, when I started, I, I thought if this is not going to go big, I'm going to know quite Shortly, and so I can change the idea and and start to do something else. So, yes, I'd registered the domains, I registered it as a limited company, and I also bought the trademark as well. So, I own the word mannequin because nobody on this earth was going to get in my way, you know. So, I was very, very determined. Um, And all of those things are just so important. I've seen that there, you know, a few people that are they haven't taken those steps, which you know, only because they didn't know, they weren't advised that that's what they should do. And then they've got so far with their business only to find that there's someone bigger out there doing a very, not the same, but very similar. And they've trademarked the name. So what do you do then? You know, how can you move forward? You've got to change and rebuild. And that, you know, having to get to that point is, um, is devastating, actually. But also the other thing is to, is to think big. So interestingly, with my business, I knew that there were other mannequin companies turning over in excess of a million. So the numbers game for me was it's open. There's no, I only need this amount of money or what have you. But interestingly, what happened is, yes, the turnover hit, you know, half a million. I've got all of these staff to worry about. It turned into this other thing and I could see it going into something that I didn't necessarily want. Um, so, I, I have actually scaled it back now, you know, with lots of different processes in place so that we I mean, like all the automation, um, all the website is automated for people to go and hire mannequins and everything. So, it's so important that we don't just start something and, and just get carried away in the here and now. We have to have that vision. We definitely have to have that vision and those solid foundations of things like yes, it's a limited company, um, even the VAT return. I registered for VAT when I was turning over £100 a month. You know, the VAT um, threshold is obviously it's £85,000 or something. Most people wait until they get to there. But then you've got to either add 20% onto your prices or you've got to absorb that, you know, because it's an extra cost. So all of these sorts of things, there's got to be um, foresight in it. You know, there's got to be a vision there of actually why, why are we doing this? Yeah. Why are we doing this?
0: And I guess if you're if you're selling to companies or hiring to companies, etc., then having that VAT charge is negligible to them. So it all makes sense if you design it that way. So finally, tell my listeners how they can find you.
1: So um, mannequin.com. So that's M-A-N-N-A-K-I-N because everyone has a problem with spelling even the correct word of mannequin. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I've got a really, really beautiful uh, lead magnet That explains why the mannequins are sustainable and circular, um, what kind of mannequin you would need for different situations, and then a reference to the extra bits and pieces that I've got going on, including club mannequin as well.
0: Wonderful. I'm going to leave all the links for them. Thank you so much, Roz, for gracing us with your presence today. I know you're a very important YouTube superstar at the moment. (laughs) Thanks for joining me. (laughs) Thank you. Season 4 of Where Ideas Launch was brought to you today by Catherine Ann Byam, Business Resilience and Strategy Consulting Services. Catherine provides business assessments and strategic support to help guide your business toward a net zero future. Get in touch with Catherine Ann Biome on LinkedIn.